ready to coffee? You're gonna start? Ready? That's Gaetan Pillard and his team of racing dogs in Whitehorse Yukon. Gaetan's from Belgium originally, and he became obsessed with the idea of becoming a musher when he visited Dawson City back in February of 2002. And the Yukon Quest was happening. So, like, all the teams were, were there, all, all the dog trucks were around, and there were some northern lights and, and all the atmosphere around it. And uh, it really kind of uh, hit me right there at that moment. The lure of life in Yukon has attracted many an adventurous soul. And today on Countless Journeys, we'll tell you about two of them. Plus... Oh, you can be anybody you want to be. You can love whomever you will. You can travel any country where your heart leads and know that I will love you still. Yogi Omar left his home country of Indonesia back in 2001 when he was just 18 years old. The thing that I really like about Canada and I guess in Vancouver particularly is just because, uh, well, first of all, it's the furthest point from where I'm from. <laughs> so I chose a place that is the furthest point. <laughs> Yogi would go on to build a life rich in art and activism. Today, he's a partner in a thriving talent agency and the vice president of the Vancouver Men's Chorus. Those stories, and more coming up on Countless Journeys. Countless Journeys. I felt like it was home. It represented, you know, the kindness and compassion and generosity that came to symbolize, you know, Canada. When I fell asleep that night, I felt settled, I felt safe, I felt I could make this work. Our family is just so enriched by having him be a part of it, so we're as grateful as he is. Ce pays, le Canada, qui m'a donné tout, il faut que je donne à ce pays aussi. I arrived here in December 46, and I will never ever regret it. <laughs> never. J'ai vraiment réalisé la force de ce pays, la générosité de ce pays, l'ouverture qu'a ce pays, et surtout cette sensation de paix et de calme. Everywhere I travel now, there's no place like coming home to Canada. Welcome to Countless Journeys from the Canadian Museum of Immigration at Pier 21, where we share the stories of newcomers to Canada from decades past to present day. I'm Mark Sakamoto. Wind whipping, snow crunching, some quintessentially Canadian sounds. And producer Tina Petaway is here with me to explain a bit more about what we're hearing. Welcome, Tina. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be here. And this is the sound of paragliding off a cliff in minus 39 degree weather. <laughs> okay, that's intense. And today we're going to hear from a couple of men who immigrated to Canada purely out of the sense of adventure and a real love of all that northern living provides. That's right. These two fellows have an intense love of winter in particular. And to start things off... My name is Bushtian Škorel and I live in Whitehorse, Yukon Territory. Bushtian is from Slovenia, right near the border with Italy. 
His parents own a winery there, and that's where he spent most of his time growing up. And when he finished high school, he thought he'd continue in the family business. I went to France for a year and a half to learn everything about wine. And also, this is where I actually um, discovered you know, the, the freedom and that I really want to travel, travel the world. So where did he go? Well, in 2008, he left his hometown and traveled through Europe, all the way up to Norway, and then down to Western Asia. <laughs> he had been bitten hard by the travel bug. He really was. I just want to see more. I just couldn't stay home and just be there. And it was not enough... Um, yeah, it was just not uh, uh, my thing. Now, he did all of this on motorcycle, by the way. Then he headed to the Middle East. Down through Syria, Lebanon, down to Egypt. Oh, this guy. This guy is brave. And now, all totaled, he visited 42 countries before arriving in Canada in 2011. Now, he landed in Montreal, where his motorcycle was waiting for him, and his plan was to head east and explore the Atlantic provinces and then head west to Alaska. I, uh, then after I travel uh, all across Canada, all the way up to Alaska, and on my way down to South America, I got stuck in Whitehorse. Now, he decided to forgo the rest of his trip to South America so he could stay in Whitehorse. It was late September, and it was getting really cold on his motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even by September, for sure. Doesn't it start to snow around that time in the Yukon? It does, and that was part of the attraction, actually. Bush John loves cold weather. The winter. I love winter. The winter is something that always kind of attract me. Um, I always want to live somewhere north. And yeah, it actually happened here. But he didn't put the motorcycle away like most people would do. Bush Junk was on a working holiday visa, so he worked various jobs. And a few months after he got to the Yukon, he retrofit his motorcycle to be able to handle a winter trek. And he drove to Taktoyaktak, Northwest Territories, on the northern border with the Yukon. <laughs> so how far is that? That's almost 1,400 kilometers, just one way. Holy smokes. Taktoyaktak is north of Inuvik, right on the coast of the Beaufort Sea. And what time of the year are we talking about? March. <laughs> on a motorcycle? Yes. It was uh, like a 46 below. And on a motorcycle with a very high speed, it's not, um, uh, it's not really warm, no? It's, it's, it's hard to keep warm, but I feel like my, my mind works way better. Um, I love to be you know, on, on the edge, kind of, uh, to see you know, what, what I can do, what I cannot do. It's just, it, I don't know, sometimes it feels like a meditation to me. You know? it's, time just flies fast, and um, it's, yeah, it's beautiful. And in really, in really extreme temperatures, everything changed, the light changed, the, the, the sound changed, and for, especially for, for, for photography, it's uh, awesome. It's his first time in Canada, and he's going to places many people have never been, even those that grew up here. Yeah, now most people never make it that far north, but if you think motorcycling in minus 46 degree weather is pushing the body to its limits, Wait until you hear about his other hobby. I started paragliding here in Whitehorse. This is actually funny because back home where I come from, paragliding is a very famous sport. And uh, actually, we have one of the best spots. It's just, uh, just in front of my house. But I never did this back home. So what exactly is paragliding? Well, it's when you fly using these lightweight gliders. They look kind of like a parachute that's been cut into one wide strip that flies above the paraglider. And you launch yourself by foot. 
Is that right? Running off a cliff or a ridge? Exactly. And once in the air, the paraglider kind of sits underneath the parachute in a suspended harness. And Bouchon does this in really, really cold temperatures. We basically go to the cliff. And uh, when there is enough wind, we basically launch and then we fly with, uh, with birds because ravens here, they always um, go and play on, on the cliffs. And we always um, basically we join them and we fly with them. And once in a while, there is an eagle or two. They can join us, too. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very, um, it's, it's a spectacular feeling to just be with them and fly with them. Wait a second. He's flying with eagles? That is unbelievable. It's amazing to hear someone describe that. Like, I would be terrified. This is like, this is so not my scene. Absolutely. <laughs> well, just jumping off a cliff. Now, his family, on the other hand, is not as taken with the thought of soaring off cliffs with the eagles. No, I imagine. My parents are not really happy, like uh, all those things that I do. My mom is the one, it's like, she always worry about it. And usually I always tell her after when it's done because otherwise she will be uh, very, um, you know, scared and always uh, think uh, think about things. Even if his family doesn't get it, the adventure of the North suits Bouchon most of the time. I kind of embrace anything, you know, comes to my life. I like changes. Um, of course, I miss my parents and uh, my grandparents. Um, actually, the hardest thing there was was actually leave my, like, uh, left everybody behind, you know, like... Um, my parents and my and my grandparents, because as soon as you go, you know, then, you know, when you come back in a few years, maybe somebody's going to be gone. Tough seeing family so infrequently. Definitely. And he says he misses some of the familiarity of the culture back home. But even though it's difficult to be apart from them, he keeps pushing himself to be more adventurous. Next year in December, I'm planning to uh, cross Alaska and Canadian Arctic from Bear, Alaska, all the way to uh, Alert. I will try to basically uh, ski kite with all my supplies into um, a pork behind. I'll, I'll be pulling the pork behind me. And yeah, it's going to be my next challenge. And my mother is not happy about it. <laughs> His mom's nerves must be shot by this point. They must be. Now, the Yukon is an extreme environment that pushes people to their limits, but it also seems to attract the type of people who love adventure. Here, Bunny, she's uh, very affectionate, eh? And uh, Nini! Nini is a crazy high power little female, which is uh, the speed in the team. Sally, come on, Sally. Sally is a dog. Uh, That's Gaetan Piard. And what's he listing? Those are the names of his dogs, his 14 dogs. Oh. Gaetan is a dog sledder or, or musher, but he grew up in the south of Belgium. Like Bouchon, winter was always Gaetan's favorite season. He loves the cold, how it makes you bundle up and move to stay warm. I was uh, doing skiing when I was uh, yeah, a kid uh, because in my village they had like uh, an organization where we could rent skis and it was free for the kids. So every time I could go after school or in the weekends, I was taking the skis and, and enjoy. But the winters are very short, so I didn't really have as much as I wanted. Sounds like a far cry from a Yukon winter. Absolutely. Now, after Gaetan finished a degree in engineering, he decided to go traveling to learn English. He went to Ireland, then Scotland, and then he made his way to Canada. During his first trip here in 2002, he hitchhiked 13,000 kilometers across the country. First, the whole trip is really impressive because you start to understand how big the country is. It's, just, it's easy to look at it on a map or just to take a flight, or but once you start to travel it, 
by hitchhiking or whatever way on the ground, you really understand. And like coming to the Yukon, you, you feel there's less and less humans and more and more forest. So you understand yeah, that I start to really like it. The Yukon is about the same size as Belgium, but it has about one one hundredth of the population. No wonder he noticed right away how few people there were around. What time of year was this? It was the winter. And on one of Gaetan's trips around the Yukon, he came across something that would stick with him even after he left the country. I stopped in Dawson. And it was like first week of February and the Yukon Quest was happening. So like all the teams were, were there, all the dog trucks were around and there were some northern lights and, and all the atmosphere around it. And uh, it really kind of... Uh, hit me right there at that moment. Did I barely know that dog sledding existed before? I, I don't know at the time. It was really a a surprise coming into Dawson. I didn't even know about the Yukon Quest. That, that's where I, I, I get to know it. Wow, that's quite the image. With the northern lights glimmering overhead, what exactly is the Yukon Quest? Well, it's a 1,600-kilometer race between Whitehorse and Fairbanks, Alaska. And it's one person on a stand-up sled being pulled by a team of dogs. Now, it takes winners around 10 days to complete. That's around 160 kilometers a day. The weather is unpredictable in February, obviously, and the terrain can be pretty hazardous. You'd think that would be a deterrent, but Gaetan kept thinking about it, even when he was back in Brussels at work. I'm not sure I was very happy just working and doing some robotic and electronic, like, in an underground laboratory. And I was not really having too much fun. So when you don't have fun in life, what do you do? You just think about, hey, what could I do which would be fun? So naturally, like, what was running into my head, like, oh, yeah, I would like to do dog setting would could be cool. And the more I was bored, the more I was thinking about it. And since he couldn't stop thinking about it, Gaetan came back to see the Yukon Quest in 2006. But this time, he brought his bicycle. Similar to Boost John with his motorcycle. Exactly. But Gaetan's was not motorized. He modified his bicycle to suit February Yukon weather and rode from one checkpoint to the next along the Yukon Quest route. After the trip, my goal was I have to contact the mushers and see if I can go and help and, you know, get in touch and have one foot in, let's say. And um, that's what I did. I just also wrote a, some sort of a little bit of a resume to just tell what I was doing, that I was cycling in the winter. And I think they just bite right away. They say, okay, we want to meet Gaetan. It must not be easy to impress a Yukon Quest musher, but biking the whole route seemed to do the trick. And he found a mentor who agreed to teach him mushing. When he got back to Brussels, he left his job and started the immigration process to stay in Canada permanently. And did he finally get to do the Yukon Quest as a racer? Yeah, he did. In 2016, he did the Yukon Quest for the first time. Of 21 teams at the start, there were 18 finishers. And where did Gaetan finish? Uh, last. <laughs> I finished Red Lantern, yeah. Red Lantern is the name given to the last musher who finishes the race. But even a last place finish was a huge accomplishment for Gaetan. It, it takes probably 12 or 13 days to run it. Oh, that's what it took me. But it took me years to prepare it. So, I mean, when I started to immigrate and came in Canada in August 2007, it was my goal. So it's only nine years later that I'm running it. So it's not only the 12 days, it's, it's like 10 years before. Even even just all the thinking, because I'm, when I was in Belgium, I was 
dreaming about the Yukon Quest already. So it's a dream in the making, which is so long that you, you're not giving it up just because it's hard or because you are last. I bet. Well, just doing that is incredible. Like. Yeah. Yeah. And what does life look like now? Well, it's pretty different from his life in Brussels working indoors as an engineer. Gaetan lives in a cabin he built himself on a property just outside of Whitehorse. But he's not alone. He's got his sled dogs. Well, the life is just wake up, feed them, feed myself, go to work, <laughs> come back and feed them, clean them and play with them. I, I don't have a lot of uh, other activities next to mushing. I love them. So I get attached to them too. So I don't like to go on vacations and, and, and leave them into other people's hands. That's a very different life than what he had before, full of travel and exploring new places. Yeah, he isn't able to travel easily anymore, but he still has his fair share of adventure. When he describes dog sledding, you start to understand why he left his home country behind for a new life. With 13 years of experience in dog mushing, I would say, it's quiet, it's peaceful, it, it's a dream, it's a, you, you, you embrace Mother Nature like with no noise. But I could describe it as a beginner where like the dogs are crazy and like it's chaos and like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I can imagine for the first few years, you're just getting used to the dogs. I bet it takes a ton of training. Absolutely. And he's raised most of the dogs himself too, but this is exactly what he wanted. You're right. Many people have dreams, sit in their offices at work and, and think about what they'd rather be doing. But Gaetan, he just did it. Now, he told me dreaming is a type of freedom because we have the right to fail. Our dreams may not, often don't, become reality. But his dream did. Because it, it's sort of impossible to the eyes of most people. But also, why not trying? Why not trying? Have a dream and try one at least. And do some steps towards that dream because also the journey is, is part of the dream too, of the accomplishment. So this, even if you would fail, this you don't lose everything. So you just try to kind of build some steps which kind of make you closer to, to your dream. It sure does take a lot of dreaming to move to a completely new country though. It does. And both Gaetan and Bouchjanch spoke about what it means for them to be an immigrant in Canada. This is Bouchjanch. Canada, it's basically based on immigration and there are people from all around the world. And what I love about Canada, it's then everybody try to live together. You no, know? everybody ex uh, accept the difference. Uh, like, you know, if you come from different culture and different mentality, you must try to live together and you, ha you must accept the, the difference. You no, know? and uh, this is what I really love here. I'm not saying that the Yukon will fit everybody, but at least it fits me. <laughs> so, Tina, do you have any big dreams? Any uh, paragliding in your future? Maybe dog sledding? Well, you know, adopting a couple of senior cats is pretty much my speed, I think. <laughs> Tree.
That's the Vancouver Men's Chorus, a nonprofit whose music and performances are designed not just to bring us beautiful music. Comprised of gay men and their friends, the chorus is well known for fostering a really welcoming community spirit as well. And one of its members is featured in our next story here on Countless Journeys. That's right, Mark. The vice president of the chorus is a man named Yogi Omar, and his involvement in the choir is the latest in a long list of volunteer work Yogi has done since arriving in Canada. Pretty much since the day he landed in Vancouver in 2001, volunteerism has been a huge part of his life. Okay, before we get to that, where is Yogi from? Why did he choose Canada? Well, Yogi kind of jokes about why he chose Vancouver. Uh, well, first of all, it's the furthest point from where I'm from. <laughs> I'm, from in, in the, I'm from Indonesia originally, so I chose a place that is the furthest point. Yogi originally came to Canada when he was 18 to study and complete his bachelor's degree in psychology and sociology. He has a deep love for the arts and a real activist streak too. I feel like um, Canada always have like a good reputation in terms of... Um, representation and uh, fights for equality in certain areas in life and it just seems quite artistic too so it was one of those things that I feel everything that I wanted to do was um, being appreciated in Canada so I wanted to give it a shot. Vancouver is quite a change from Indonesia no matter how anxious you are to dive into a new life. How did Yogi navigate a new country and a new school in those early days? Well, through his college, Yogi signed up for a homestay program. Because I didn't know anybody here. I didn't speak the language here. I didn't know anything at all. Homestays are pretty much what they sound like, right? An international student lives with a Canadian family and they share meals together and downtime and it gives them that family structure that can really be supportive. That's right. There's a lot of learning that goes on in those environments that go a long way in helping someone understand a new country. To get myself situated, to learn like, you know, the lifestyle, the culture, the habits and everything. Yogi settled in with his family in South Vancouver. They're Marie, Denis, Simon and Katie. Now Marie and Denis had two small kids at the time and were experiencing a bit of sticker shock over housing prices having recently moved to Vancouver. They had a two-bedroom apartment in their basement, which they rented out, and Yogi moved into their main house to really have that family kind of experience. Within the first day, we were chatting a little bit, trying to understand each other's languages and trying to understand what they're asking me and me trying to like communicate everything. Um, and eventually it was just like a really funny kind of like a Tarzan language, like lots of body movement. Marie Lopez remembers that first meeting too. And we have a, a work of art that a friend of ours made for us that um, is partly made out of skeletons from the dollar store. Um, and he came from a kind of a superstitious and, and a religious family. So he looked in and saw this thing in our window and thought, excellent, devil worshippers, right? And <laughs> uh, so what I remember about that first day is he talked his head off and uh, uh, his whole life, all his friends. He had thousands of photographs, which he showed us also on the first day uh, of all of his friends and uh, his family and his home and uh, each one with tiny, tiny, tiny meticulous writing on the back of everybody who was there in the circumstance and the date. So yeah, that's what that's what I remember about our first day. It can be pretty fraught meeting people for the first time, let alone people you're going to be living with. But it sounds like they hit it off right away. It was a really great connection that they all made that day back in 2001. And that first night, it was just like, it, it was very immediate that um, 
I felt like it was home. I felt like when I fell asleep that night, I felt settled. I felt safe. I felt like I could make this work. So that first night, he went to bed, and my husband and I looked at each other and went, "Okay, so he's gay, right?" Um, and we didn't feel the need to talk about that. We just felt pretty sure he was a young gay man, and that was all cool with us. So for the first little while, he was very curious about gay culture in Vancouver. Just asked us a lot of questions, and we just answered those questions. That must have been such a disorienting time for Yogi, coming from a culture like Indonesia, where being gay was and still remains taboo. Had Yogi come out to his family prior to leaving for Vancouver? No, he hadn't. He was somewhat involved in gay rights activism there, but it wasn't safe to be out in Indonesia. Even today, LGBTQ plus people have no protections under the law, and in some states, it's outright illegal. Yeah, Indonesia is not the greatest place when it comes to um, being gay or being different in general. Anyway, but specifically for me, I was um, doing a lot of work in the LGBT community and uh, fighting for like LGBT rights. And it's not safe to be gay in Indonesia. Yeah, so that was probably the extent I can talk about that. <laughs> being queer was a a subject that was so taboo where he came from, that um, he had questions that I don't think that a North American 18 or 19-year-old would have asked. But he'd had nobody to talk to his entire life about these things that he was feeling. And then I guess following all of us, he came out to his biological family in Indonesia, and that really didn't go well uh, and does not go well to this day. Yeah, and like 18, 19 years later, they still haven't come to terms with it. So I think that really walking through that whole process together uh, made us a lot closer. What a complete life change for Yogi, leaving not only a really homophobic country, but a family that's rejected him as well. And then finding himself with Marie and her family. Absolutely. And as the homestay started to wind up, Marie and Denis made Yogi an offer. And then... Um, when his homestay term was up, he wanted to stay in Canada and keep studying. And our the little two-bedroom apartment that was also in the house came vacant at that time. They asked me, and like, do you, do you want to just stay with us? And so I said, yes. <laughs> so he kind of walked across the hall and went from being a, um, a homestay student to a tenant, uh, found a roommate. Uh, but by then, we'd kind of established a, a level of family intimacy where, you know, he was a tenant, but he wasn't a tenant. And I lived in their basement suite for 14 and a half years. <laughs> Wait a second, what? And I lived in their basement suite for 14 and a half years. <laughs> yes, you heard that right. And they even sold houses at one point and bought another one that had an apartment specifically because they wanted Yogi to stay with them. And it was really sweet. They didn't have to. They like, you know, and I'm an adult and like I should be able to like, you know, make my own living and everything too. Okay, so speaking of a living, we mentioned in the opening that he runs a talent agency. How did all that come about? Well, Yogi's always had a real love for the arts. And going back to the days when he could barely speak English, watching TV was one way he bolstered his language skills. Gilmore Girls was a favorite. So I was like, oh, they speak really fast. This is the best way to like get to know this. So I always tape the show. And I the first time I watch it, I write down all of the 
references that they made in the show. And then I rewatched the oh well, and then I googled everything. And then after I googled everything, I understood what the whole context of all the the, the story. And then I rewatched the episode again. But even with all of this work, Yogi knew that there was a lot that he still wasn't quite getting about the show because it never made him laugh. There's one thing to speak the language, understand the language, but there's another thing about um, jokes. Is such embedded in like the culture, and you have to know the beat and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Humor really is loaded with cultural references or sayings, all sorts of things that literally don't translate very well at all. And then eventually it was like season four, episode 17 or something like that. And I was watching it and I was trying to write it down. And then I was laughing because I got the joke and then I started crying because I got the joke. (laughs) And it was like a really cool thing because, you know, like, I get it. This is my first joke. And I was like, yay. That was like his initiation to Canada. He's made it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. He's in on the joke. And now the other thing he did was, uh, which was super strategic on his part, he volunteered at the Vancouver International Film Festival the first year he arrived. I was like, you know what? Why not? Let's try it. So I did. And my first job was to rip tickets because I can only say yes or no. And that led to a 10-year association with the film festival, both as a volunteer and then year-round staffer after a couple of years. Then, through another volunteer role he took on with the Vancouver Queer Film Festival, he heard about a company that arranged for all the extras that you see in the background in film and TV shows. My colleague at the time was like saying, it's so much work and it's not a lot of money. And I'm like, great, I'm in. (laughs) That's how I got into this world. And I'm guessing that's what led to his work in the talent agency. That's right. He went to work for them, but he had a plan there as well from the start. And I was like, okay, well, you're not going to be able to afford me. So why don't I work for free for six months? And if in the first three months, it's starting to show signs that it's working, then let's continue. But if it's not, then you're not losing anything. You're not paying me anyway. So what do you say? So they were just like, okay, sure. (laughs) That's how it started. And that was October 2011. And I became a co-owner in September 2013 uh, because we were booming. His company is called Inspiration All Talent, and it specializes in representing clients from diverse backgrounds. People of different ethnicities, every age, every uh, gender, everything. That's fantastic. It sounds like Yogi found the path that was right for him And it all came together. He's honestly, he's got such an amazing energy that really came through in our conversation. And I'm not quite done yet with sharing his accomplishments. (laughs) Okay, well, go on. So Yogi also has been instrumental in the civic life of Vancouver, volunteering on the LGBTQ2 plus advisory committee for the city of Vancouver. We were advising city councillors and politicians in the city to just kind of basically make policies that are more... Um, LGBTQ2 plus uh, uh, inclusive, and we're trying to extend the the protection for queer people in the city. And uh, a couple of the things that we worked on that I'm incredibly proud about was the first one was a trans inclusion policy. So all of the city owned buildings have to have trans friendly washrooms um, that passed in 2014 or 15, 2015. Um, So that was the first thing that was like, "Mm, yeah, so exciting. And then just recently, uh, last two years ago, a year and a half ago, uh, we worked on banning the practice of conversion therapy. 
and Vancouver uh, passed it. So we are the first city in Canada that banned the practice of conversion therapy, which is insane because that was 2018. Isn't that wonderful how he's raising issues in Canada, his new home, in ways that he probably never would have been able to in his old home. Exactly, yeah. What a wonderful impact Yogi is having on so many lives here in Canada. Thanks so much, Tina, for sharing a story with us. My pleasure. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening to Countless Journeys from the Canadian Museum of Immigration at Pier 21. Subscribe to Countless Journeys on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or visit podcast.pier21.ca. Sound designed by Paolo Pietro Paolo and Natasha Aziz. For more about the museum, visit pier21.ca or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. <laughs>